Hello and welcome back to the Golden Hurricast, a weekly podcast covering Golden Hurricane athletics at the University of Tulsa. I'm Ryan Token. I'm Matt Rectine. And oh boy, Matt, um, Tulsa got lucky on Friday night. I think lucky is a good word for it against the Pirates. Uh, terrible start, <laughs> but a nice comeback, I guess, uh, in that second half. It was a nice comeback, no, no denying or going around that one. But then an honestly pretty ridiculous final drive to win the game or to give us the go-ahead score uh, that that ended up winning us the game so we will break <laughs> we will break that game down uh specifically that last drive um against ecu and then we will also preview this saturday's game at navy uh, we'll also talk some pretty wild conference ball that happened this week we've got a football recruiting update that we want to hit on and then finish it off with some basketball talk for the first time uh this year which is very exciting so lots to get to uh, today, so let's get started. Stay golden. Hurricane. So before we jump into the ECU game and that uh, the crazy, crazy drive there at the end to finish things off, uh, quick little recruiting or not recruiting, but ranking update. Um, update still not ranked. Not much of an update, but we did drop a few spots, uh, dropped a few votes. We had 80 votes in the poll last week, which I think, if I remember right, was good for a third team out, and uh, only not us. That was Tulane. <laughs> yeah yeah uh, i forgot yeah Tulane showed up in the poll instead of us i think that was only on the espn like mobile app though which doesn't make any sense to me because when i looked on the their website how is it not just the same i know it, like across the board it has, I, that's why i was blown away like normally that would just be pulling from an api somewhere and it would be the same data regardless but i swear i looked at it on espn the website and it was tulsa and then i saw it on espn the mobile app and it was Tulane. So no idea how that happened. But yeah, ESPN mixed us up uh, with Tulane there. Um, but yes, I think it was the third team out last week with 80 vote or 80 points. Um, and then this week, uh, we dropped a couple spots. We dropped down to 73 points, which makes us the fifth team out after Northwestern, uh, Louisiana, better known as Louisiana Lafayette, North Carolina, and Penn State. So dropped a little bit there. Not really surprised based on the performance against uh, a one in four East Carolina Pirates team. Um, but so it goes. Uh, elsewhere in the conference, Cincinnati went up to number six from number seven after destroying Memphis. Uh, that was a freaking bonkers game. I can't believe they won by as much as they did. We'll talk about that after the ECU and Navy stuff. And then SMU also moved up, I think, from number 22. They're now number 18 after beating Navy pretty handily as well. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. What do you, th what are your thoughts, Matt, on the ranking? Is that kind of what you expected or did you expect us to fall further or move up or what do you think? No, I mean, I figured the only way we were going to go up, I think I talked about last week was if we ended up blowing out East Carolina, uh, and like we needed to look like a dominant team and that's definitely not what happened. Um, but I mean, I wasn't really expecting us with a win to drop that much. And that's kind of seems like exactly what it is, what, um, you know, we, we got the win. We didn't look great. We didn't look like a team that should be, uh, I mean, I don't know. We didn't really look like a top 25 team in the way we played East Carolina. So I'm kind of 
not really surprised that it was a slight drop, but we're still right on the cusp. Yeah, not surprised either. Um, and yeah, you're right. I mean, we definitely didn't look like a top 25 team there. We were 19-point favorites against ECU, which was pretty generous. I mean, after talking with the Boneyard guys last week, I mean, we knew with Rajay Harris and CJ Johnson, and those are the youngest guys that are really studs on their team. They've got a bunch of older guys that are really good as well. But with the kind of talent level they have over there, especially on the offensive side, um, <laughs> being 19-point favorites over them to open it up and then 17-and-a-half, I think, before the game started was pretty nuts. Uh, but still, we didn't come anywhere close to that, obviously, only one by four, um, which, uh, yeah, let's let's start talking ECU a little bit. So we were we were down 17-to-3 halftime. Um, terrible start. We'll talk about that when we get kind of uh, further on in this recap. The final ended up being 34-to-30. Tied it up 20 to 20 with three minutes left in the third quarter. And then the fourth quarter was uh, a slog. Uh, we were missing some guys again. Uh, we did, though, have Christian Williams and TK Wilkerson back. Those two both missed last week. Unfortunately, Tyneal Martin, who missed last week, was also out again this week. And he's a big piece of that defense. Has been, um, I don't think he's been the defensive player of the week for either of us, since mostly that's been all Zayvon Collins every game for, for a good reason. Uh, but he's been up there. Like, he's been in the conversation having really good games. So a bummer to have him out, um, but he was, the, I think, the only one really uh, from last week that was out again. Um, Zayvon Collins did get hurt somewhere in the game, I think, in the first half. Uh, it was the first half, and it was something with his foot or toe, um, but then he came back and was playing more in the second half uh, kind of intermittently. I don't know what the status is on that. I asked Kelly Hines today on Sunday if she knew anything or had heard anything, and she said, no, um, not yet, probably won't know until Tuesday, so we'll wait and see on him. Same kind of story with Caleb Evans. He also got hurt somewhere in the middle of the game, um, and but he didn't come back. Uh, it was mostly Ryan Nixon, the sophomore corner, filling in for him the rest of the game. So really not sure even what happened to Evans. I didn't hear about what the injury was. Um, Matt, did you see anything on TV? I, I don't think I saw or heard anything about it. No, it was just it like one minute there, and then it was just kind of he gone. Yeah, yeah, he was gone. Wow, sorry. Just... <laughs> he gone works. People say that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I, I was the same way. I was just like, oh, Ryan Nixon's in, and I got really excited. And then I was like, wait a minute, that means that Caleb Evans is not in there. Um, yeah, and even coming back in the second half, I mean, he wasn't really a like a force like we would normally expect i think he had like what six tackles talking about collins now game. yeah okay yeah i was talking about ryan nixon there but yeah right i know i was just saying like before like since you mentioned that collins yeah. did come back in the second half he only had six total tackles yeah he was um you know i don't know i mean you know i'm sure the toe was still bothering him a little bit or maybe the maybe ecu was just totally playing you know stay away from him as much as possible because he's the weak side linebacker so maybe they just run everything to the opposite side as much as they can you know stay away from that guy because everybody's got him circled now you know it um so i mean he did some damage i think he made a and we'll get to this later on but made a good play on that interception he was he was right there in the area uh in holton naylor's face putting his hands up in the air so he definitely still made an impact but yeah not that at least not to the same level, which is hard to match week over week from the previous three weeks that he's played. Um, and then for uh, Tiny Martin, um, he was out, like I said, and Jace Oliver, number 25 safety, uh, got some time in there, it looked like, for Tiny And I think that's the first I've really seen of him out on the field. So that was kind of cool. 
Um, but yeah, so first thing is first, let's talk about the <laughs> that uh, game-winning drive. So there are really three things to talk about um, with this drive. So we'll we'll go from least severe, I think, to most severe in terms of the calls that were made and what happened because of them. So, and two of them, I think, are very, very defendable, at least. And one is is really not, unfortunately. Uh, and so that'll be the third one we cover, I'm sure. You can probably guess which one that was. But first, we will start with um, the fourth down pass interference on whoever it was on ECU that was covering Keelan Stokes. Fourth down, we're driving down the field, you know, and we have to make a play, otherwise it's game over. And this is a theme of these three points, basically, or at least the first two. Um, but they call pass interference on, on the dude covering Stokes, which, you know, is 15-yard penalty, automatic first down, and all of a sudden we're still marching on. Looking at that on camera, uh, I think that's the most easily defendable um, of the three crazy plays here. They're like, if you watched on film, he had his arm hooked. Uh, Stokes' arm was totally hooked down. And that, that impacted his ability to make the play. I mean, a lot of times people say that refs won't call that very often in the fourth quarter uh, on a fourth down play like that when when people are just, it's kind of, you know, it's a bang-bang play. Um, but the call was made, and you can you can defend it for sure. I mean, it, it clearly looked like it happened. Uh, what did you think no, about that T.I. call, on TV, they, well, on TV, they even said, like, yeah, it was a close call, but there's really no reason for East Carolina to even wrap around him at that point like that made it kind of like just the wrapping his arm around him made it kind of an obvious like they could call it and so like they really didn't need to do anything like well they didn't need to interfere in order to stop that play but yeah I would agree that uh it definitely looked like pass interference on tv yeah you're not going to get a lot of calls but I mean you can't really complain that it's a bad call when it was pretty explicitly pass interference. Yeah, agreed. And what made it even weirder was that it was the back judge, the back judge that threw the flag from like, you know, 25, 30 yards away and not the side judge who's standing right there. And I think that pissed a lot of people off on the East Carolina side as well, because why didn't the line judge throw that flag? Why was it the guy that was so far away? And it, it made it even worse because like when it, when it happened, uh, I don't think anybody really saw the flag being thrown because it was thrown from so far away at first. And so it made it look like the flag was thrown super late. Like another three seconds later, people saw the flag come down, you know, closer to where the play happened. And people kind of lost their minds. Like, you know, even when Keelan Stokes missed the catch, he like put his hands up in the air and ECU was going nuts and people were kind of starting to walk off the field barely and like game's over and then all of a sudden you see you see the flag come down and i'm like oh my god my uh i i was i was surprised you know i mean seeing it i was at the stadium so i wasn't watching on tv um and hard to see when uh especially when you have my kind of vision i my eyes are pretty bad but um (laughs) you know it was just it was it was it was bizarre you know i'm glad that i'm glad it got called because watching the replay it definitely looked like pi um but I definitely didn't see the flag until uh, a little bit after it was thrown from very far away. So that made it even worse. Um, The second one, uh, slightly less defendable, but still um, you can make an argument for why it was called the Josh Johnson catch. So another fourth down play, (laughs) you know, second one like this, we have to make another play to get this, you know, keep the drive alive and have a chance to win the game. And Zach Smith 
kind of rolls out to the side and throws a low ball, uh, you know, not, not the best pass to Josh Johnson. And Josh kind of slides to catch it and looks pretty solid. Not going to lie. Like the catch looked solid. Um, watching it in person, I couldn't really tell. It, I, you know, I was too far away to make, a, make my own call there, but it looked fine from the stands. And, you know, slides down and the ball, you know, doesn't really move. And he gets back up, and they call uh, they call a catch. So um, the referees called the catch on the field, but you know a play like that, they're going to go take another look. So they go take a look at that catch, and we get to see it on the on the jumbotron at the stadium. And you can like so when he slides, it's in his hands firmly, but from the back, you know you you probably saw there's like a screenshot going around of a of a piece of film. And it's like from from Josh Johnson's back, you can see the ball on the left side of his body as he's sliding. And it's in his hands, but it hits the ground. And so people are saying, you know, it hit the ground, you know, the ground can't help you make a catch. And if that's if that's the case, then it's not a catch. But he had the ball firmly in his hands before that ball hit the ground. And the ball didn't move. At least I couldn't tell that the ball moved when it hit the ground there. So regardless of it hitting the ground, I thought he had total control over that catch. And when it hits the ground, he maintains full control over it and gets back up and no, no problem. Um, the thing is, I mean, with two plays in a row like that, that's pretty pretty crazy um, to get bailed out on fourth down, more or less. And so I understand <laughs> why he is so upset about it. But, um, you know, this one, I don't know. It looked like a catch to me live, uh, and then it looked like it again watching it. I would probably argue the opposite way if I was an ECU fan. Um, maybe, I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't, uh, I probably would, but it looked like a catch to me. Yeah. And so like, I, I rewatched, uh, this drive again, like a couple times today mm-hmm. just to go over all of them. Yeah. And like, uh, I don't know, this one was tough just because, I mean, I don't know necessarily that I agree with the confirm call yes. on the field. Great, great point. Um, and that's the, like, I would I argue like, yeah, it looks like a catch and I don't think there was enough to overturn it, but I definitely also don't think there was enough to confirm it. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Uh, And so that's kind of where I'm at. And I mean, obviously, you know, this is a Tulsa podcast and I'm a Tulsa fan, so I am biased for TU for sure. But like looking at that, I was like, I mean, if that happened to ECU, like if they had something like that, I'd be pissed Mm -hmm. and in the moment for sure. Right. Like rightfully so. I mean, that's kind of just what watching sports is anyways. But like looking back on it now, like I like to think that if you know Johnson for ECU had that same thing, I'd be like, yeah, that that was a good call. So that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, and you're right. Like I didn't even I forgot that they confirmed that call. Yeah, that was that was pretty bizarre. Like I understand the catch call. I understand reviewing it. I understand you know going with your original call because it looked like a catch. You know even on the replay, but confirming that thing that that it feels like you're just spitting in ECU's face at that point. And we're not even to the worst of the offenders of these three calls yet. Uh, but that was a confirming that thing was was pretty wild. Um, so let's move on to to the main event here, um, the third and final. I guess no, this one actually happened in between those two, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. So this one was the, the uh, yeah, in between the first and second ones that we just talked about. Um, but I wanted to do it last because it is the least defendable <laughs> of all these of all these calls. Um, so 
We are running the ball. TK Wilkerson gets the ball. Uh, had a great game this game, by the way. We'll get to that later on uh, besides <laughs> besides this play, really. Um, but TK fumbles the ball. It was call the fumble on the field by the referee. Uh, call the fumble. So fumble on the field. And obviously, for again, like any play like this late in the game, they're going to go take a look. So they review it. And the referee comes out and reverses that call. Uh, and he said, you know, the, the justification around it was that TK lost the ball originally, but then before his knee hit the ground, he regained total control of the ball, uh, before his knee hit the ground. And so therefore no fumble because, you know, he lost it for a sec, but that's fine. If you regain control of it before you're down, then it's not a fumble, right? You have, you have control of it. Nobody else got it. Um, which, you know, the, the explanation is, is great and all, but like, if you watch that replay, which, you know, I, I did, I watched it yesterday. I watched it again today. Um, he clearly, clearly never regained control of it. I mean, you can't argue against it. Uh, and then the American came out with a statement on how they kind of blew that. And I'll read that here in a second, but man, I mean, he loses it clearly. It's, it's kind of bumbling around in there and he does not gain full control of that ball uh, before his knee hits the ground. So that was a missed call for sure. This is one where, again, I'm just, I feel like with what is called on the field is what should have stood, yes. like stood. So, like, if they had called this not a fumble and that he had been down, I personally think, like, and I, like, watch this over and over again, like, I don't know. I think he might have been able to regain possession, but I don't think it was clear enough regaining of said possession to reverse the call, especially in a game like this. Um, and I mean, okay, you shouldn't let the situation determine the calls you're making, obviously, but like if they had called his knee down, I don't think it would have been, I don't think it should have been called to a fumble. And I think since this, like there just isn't enough evidence either way to overturn what whatever was called on the field. And so I think since this one was called a fumble, it should have like remained a fumble. Yeah, no, no, I, I totally agree with you. That's totally a fair point. And you're right. I mean, there's no way that should have been overturned. It should have stood, which pains me to say as a fan who's very happy that we did end up winning that game. Um, but yeah, there's no way you can, you know, the, the rule for overturning, like everybody knows, you have to have total conclusive evidence that that you were able to see the actual 100% concrete result of what happened there, and it has to go in the opposite way. And looking at that, there's hard to believe that you can see that. So, I mean, yeah, so uh, the American felt the same way. They came out with a statement um, yesterday, or I guess, yes, yesterday, uh, the day after the game on Saturday. And here's what they said. So I'm going to read the statement in its entirety here. So they say, the American Athletic Conference has acknowledged an officiating error that occurs, occurred in the fourth quarter of the October 30th East Carolina-Tulsa football game. With 1.52 remaining in the fourth quarter, a Tulsa ball carrier was ruled by the on-field officials to have fumbled with the ensuing recovery by East Carolina. After further review of the play by the replay official, the ruling on the field was reversed. The replay official determined that the ball carrier had regained possession and was down prior to East Carolina's ultimately recovering the ball. After reviewing the video of the play, the conference has determined that the judgment of the replay official was incorrect. The ball carrier did not regain possession of the ball, and the ruling on the field awarding the ball to East Carolina should not have been reversed. The American Athletic Conference has conducted a review of the game, has communicated its findings to East Carolina and to Tulsa. 
So there you have it. I mean, they came out and say, you know, this shouldn't have been reversed. Um, should have been East Carolina's ball, which likely would have ended the game. We did, I think, at that point still have two timeouts and theoretically could have stopped them and had time for a Hail Mary kind of play uh, or Hail Mary drive there at the end. But for all intents and purposes, would have made it much, much more difficult for us to win that game. Um, and so, you know, there's the statement. And what I find, uh, I don't know if you noticed this, Matt, but what I found very funny about how they handled this was they they put the statement out, or at least they tweeted about the statement um, to announce that it was out at 10.53 in the morning on Saturday, which coincidentally is seven minutes before the kickoff of the two biggest games of the week for them, which were Memphis and Cincinnati, which Cincinnati is, you know, number 16, Memphis is right outside the top 25, and the Tulane and Temple games, which both of those games kicked off at 11 o'clock in the morning. So seven minutes before games get started that weekend they put out this statement and that is like such a classic tactic that companies use all the time to hide bad press you know they like they'll put something out during some other company's big news week or big conference for them or you know big event that they've got going on or they'll put it out right before the weekend starts so people are already away from work and not reading the news as much anymore and hopefully they'll have forgotten about it by the time the week gets started the next week, you know, things like that. And so this is a, a textbook example of the American trying to, you know, hide the hide their footprints in the sand by putting it putting it out right before the games got started um, that weekend. I I don't know. I made a note. I don't know if you saw it just in our uh, show notes that. I think this is frankly ridiculous for the AAC to put out like for this game because I mean I have seen none of these and I know like Kelly Hines even alluded to this on Twitter like how many times have we been screwed over by the refs for like pretty blatant or obvious calls and then like the AAC is nothing and then the one time where it's like a bad call is done in our favor it's like oh yeah we recognize that this was a bad call Tulsa shouldn't have like won this game like i don't know maybe that's just my small market bias but <laughs> I, I think it's just kind of bullshit like to have your re, re like replay referees decide a play call off of something they saw on a video board that was not on said video board last year or like how we lost against smu how we lost against navy a couple of years ago how we lost against houston in 2016 i mean it's just a load of shit yeah, I mean, those are all all very fair points. I don't think I think you're right. I don't think we ever got a statement from the conference on any of those events. And some of them happened early in the game that, you know, may or may not have changed the course of the game, but regardless, weren't like the final drive to win the game. But some of those were, you know. And so for things like that, I am, you know, you make a good point that we never got a statement like that and it's it's interesting that, you know, they do it against us. But, you know, clearly it looked, you know, if you're an outside viewer watching this game, the argument is like the American is they're trying to get Tulsa this win because they're undefeated in conference so far. They're knocking on the door of the top 25. They need as many top 25 teams as they can um, to make it more likely for Cincinnati or whoever from the American to get that New Year six bid or potentially even this season, the college football playoff with how Cincy's playing. And so the outside person is going to be like, this is clearly the American trying to make something happen for Tulsa, which is so bizarre to say out loud because that has been the total opposite of what's been happening for Tulsa for the last three years straight. We have had, like you said, so many games where we should have won that game just like this. And it's gone the other way. 
like consistently. This is the first time ever, uh, since I've been watching that we've had something like this happen um, to us, like in our in our favor. So I know things like this happen because they have happened to us several times in a row. And fortunately, this time we got the lucky roll of the dice and um, things played out in our favor this time. So I don't know. It's uh, You make a good point. We <laughs> It's never been favorable for us in the past. So maybe this is just... Uh, some karma built up over the years and now it's now it's paying off hopefully we get another couple of those <laughs> going forward i i mean i don't know i kind of hope we don't need any of those <laughs> yeah, going right. forward good point i mean as like much as i'll take this take this win i don't like having to justify it with like yeah like we probably shouldn't have like that's yeah. not fun i don't want to i don't want to win this win the conference this year and like have it come down to a play like that when we take uh cincinnati back to back at the end of the year <laughs> no you're right and yeah you're right that's that's totally true and a good point because i what what i could see happening and what i don't want to happen obviously is that this this whole year becomes just like a double asterisk on everything with the number of games people are playing and how they're playing in those games because of fewer practices and all that stuff and then compound that with oh well they shouldn't even have played in that championship game because they got that lucky ruling with east carolina and all this stuff and it's just like six asterisks on the season for Tulsa for some reason. And that's a, that's not what I want to happen. So yeah, that's a, it's a good point. Um, the, the more you can win dominantly and without needing the ref's help, uh, obviously the better. So, um, let's move on to some of the just kind of good things and bad, bad things from this game. Um, if you don't mind, Matt, I was hoping to start off with bad things in this one. Cause, uh, I don't know, there's a lot of them. Um, so we can, I don't want to get too, too down and then not have to come up with the good things afterwards. So let's start with the bad things. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a lot, like I said. So the first half in general, the entire team pretty much uh, was bad. We looked flat-footed. We looked slow. We looked like we didn't really know what we were doing out there. Zach Smith intercepted on his first throw of the game, um, overthrew Keelan Stokes. Uh, he was hit on the throw on his second pick. He did throw a second pick. He was hit on that throw. Um which was super wobbly, like right at the end of that first half. But that, that first one um, was just an overthrow. I, I watched it again yesterday and just to make sure that there wasn't, you know, like a cutoff route, like what happened with Josh Johnson last game uh, or two games ago now. But um, yeah, he just straight up overthrew him straight into the safety's hands. So ugly one from him. We had Zach was like holding on to the ball for forever in that first half. And I put a tweet out about there, how it looked like last year, kind of with how long he used to hold the ball. Uh, it was weird, man. I mean, everybody just looked kind of out of sync. Everybody looked rattled by East Carolina. It just didn't look like we were expecting them to be as good as they are. Uh, I mean, I know that they had the one and three record coming in. Um, but like I said earlier, and like we both know, uh, there's a lot of talent on that team. And it's hard to believe that we, that the coaching staff or the players didn't see that or didn't know that. Like, I'm sure that they did. Uh, because Rajay Harris specifically destroyed us all game. Like we could not stop that guy. He's their running back, right? Their freshman. Um, and we've stopped. We've stopped talented running backs in this season. We've had no problem stopping Chuba Hubbard. Uh, we had no problem stopping uh, like the the three tiered monster at, at running back at uh, UCF. Um, and it's just, I don't know. I was I was surprised with how bad we looked early. And this brings back the slow start issue. Right, we finally had a not slow start against South Florida, but is that just because South Florida is terrible? Are they like just you know anybody? Yes. Could, yeah, they are. They're clearly terrible, um, but we did start fast against them at least. Um, but man, I mean, opposite of uh, of a of a fast start there. I mean, 
this was a serious regression. And I don't know, do you think it was because of like what we expected ECU to be this year? I don't know. What are your thoughts on how we started? Uh, So I think part of it is like our defense took a step back this game. Um, And I mean, part of that was some injuries to key contributors, but I mean, we gave up 30 points to ECU and a lot of times our defense can kind of disguise our slow starts. Mm -hmm. Um, Like it, they didn't do a great job disguising it here. They didn't do a great job disguising it against UCF because we were so bad. But, I mean, like, we weren't lights out right away from... I mean, we scored uh, pretty quickly, first drive against South Florida, but then we were uh, didn't really do anything else until second mm-hmm. quarter, points-wise. And so a lot of that was, well, our defense wasn't giving up a lot of points. Um, which, whereas, like, this game, we didn't do anything in the first quarter, but we were also giving up like 17 points in the first half. And so I think that's kind of part of it where it like makes it look like our slow start even worse yeah. uh, just because we weren't really doing much. And I don't know. I'm just, it's getting a little frustrating just kind of with that. Like Smith still has not had a 300 yard passing game. Like he had 253 yards mm-hmm. this game uh, with the two touchdowns and two interceptions. Like that's, I don't know. We, we need to be doing more. Like, our running game was still strong, uh, 175 yards on 37 mm-hmm. rushes. But, I mean, we had – so we were balanced in that we had 37 rushing attempts and 37 passing attempts. But, like, I I don't know. We just need to do better in the passing game. Yeah, it's it's been surprising. Um, and, you know, we're, this is, we're four games in now. I thought by now that kind of the kinks would be worked out and we'd be we'd be clicking on offense. But – Definitely, it's not happening. You mentioned that that the defense wasn't really, you know, the defense has masked our offensive failings in the past, and I would argue that they did do that against UCF as well. Like we, that terrible start we had against UCF on offense, um, we held them to two straight field goals with terrible field position, and that's a that's a hell of an offense there. I mean, they UCF is still throwing up 600 yards total offense like every week against everyone. So I think for sure that we did there. Um, but you're right. I mean, this game. I don't know what it was. It wasn't even – it was like everybody. We weren't getting much pressure on the quarterback at all. Um, it was like five on three on the line at points. We were we stuck with the three-man front as usual like we always do. And, man, they had – they were really – they were really trying to protect Holton because I think they were really concerned about that. When we talked with the Boneyard guys last week, you'll, you'll probably remember their biggest point of concern on East Carolina, those Boneyard guys, was their offensive line. They were so concerned about Holton Aylers not having time to throw and why that's – hindered him this year because he's such a big talent but he's having a bad year so far and man we were giving him all day like nobody was getting back there aside from jackson player jackson player was consistently in the backfield but he was the only one i don't i don't know if we had any sacks that game i'm not i don't have the stats pulled up right now um but i don't remember any off the top of my head but jackson was at least there uh causing some havoc Um, But man, like even outside of the line, so the line, you know, didn't do very well. We didn't get to him pretty much at all. Uh, The linebacking core had had kind of a down game. And then even our defensive backs uh, were pretty rough. Like they were completing passes all game. Allie Green, you know, (laughs) I, I, everyone knows I love his trash talk. A lot of people like his trash talk, but a lot of people don't like his trash talk. And he was a little bit wild on Friday, I thought. I don't know if you saw on the sideline, Matt. He got into it with C.J. Johnson one time. Um, and they were they were talking all game. Like, I'm not surprised. They're two 
CJ is easily their biggest receiver. He's a big, thick dude. He's really tall. Same thing with Allie. They're both big physical guys. And they were going at it for a long time. And then then one play, uh, Allie kind of tackled him out of bounds and kept tackling, <laughs> like kept on tackling him while he was out of bounds. And they got into it even more there. And I think he got an unsportsmanlike conduct from that play. And he definitely deserved it. I mean, that there is no, you know, you can talk all you want. And I enjoy the fire and like, I enjoy the, the heat that you, that he brings to the team and the energy that I think he creates for the defense. But when you have things like that, that's going too far, obviously. So I don't, not a fan when, uh, when he's causing trouble like that. And, um, you know, the rest of the team is kind of looking at him like, what are you doing when, when you do stuff like that? So I wasn't a fan of that. In the same kind of vein, we had another guy kind of lose his mind, Ethan Hall, the tight end. Um, he like repeatedly was one play like punched punched the ground like seven times in a row and then stormed off the field and was yelling at some dude on the sideline uh so (laughs) i don't know there was a lot of a lot of weird you know people are just pissed off i don't think they expected east carolina to come out and just dominate us in the first half like they clearly did and i think that was getting to everyone so uh, fortunately you know keelan stokes had a hell of a pep talk uh especially at the end of that first half um, to the, to the offensive line and those guys involved in, in that play right after Smith's second interception, but weird deal from the defense. Did you see any of those like kind of heated exchanges, Matt? Yeah. Um, just throughout the game. And I think it also goes like, I mean, it's explained in our penalties for this game. Like we had 10 penalties for 109 mm-hmm. yards, which is, I mean, um, they had ECU had 13 penalties for 105, which just goes to show like our penalties were even more egregious, yeah. just like a lot of bullshit that didn't need to happen. Um, and so, I mean, it just goes back to, we can't just play an undisciplined game of football. Like even if we're getting frustrated, if we're getting dominated by a team that we think we're better than, uh, which I mean, for, you can argue that, you know, maybe we weren't this game because like we had to rely on a lot of good luck on that last drive, even to get pull off the win. Like you can't let your frustrations like that, uh, dictate how you're playing the game. And so, I mean, we were very fortunate to have like come across a team, uh, like this is, should be a wake up call. Like, yeah, think like, thankfully we won, but I mean, this very easily could have been, could have gone the other way. And a lot of it is comes down to just like, we didn't play well and we got in our own heads. Yeah. Yeah. I agreed. I mean, I, I think that's a good point. I, I think hopefully it is a wake up call. We escaped with one for sure. I mean, straight up East Carolina outplayed Tulsa on Friday. They deserve to win that game in my opinion and didn't, didn't get it. We escaped with it um, at home and got lucky. Right. So we, we came out with one. We need to make sure that that's not the case in future games and not take these games for granted I don't know if I don't know if things are getting to their head like you said because all of a sudden we're getting some attention nationally and that hasn't happened in several years and it's these you know they're they're overthinking it in terms of how good we're playing which we have been playing really well up until the East Carolina game so gotta you know keep your head on straight and keep playing the, the way that I know that this team can play um, kind of the final bad thing in my notes uh, what I you know, I hate to bring it up, Matt, because he's your offensive breakout player of the year. But he had a rough one. I mean, he had he had. No, it's, yeah, I, I knew yeah, this was coming. I know. So I mean, I can't not say it because it was it was a serious contributor to this game. He dropped several several big passes. This is Josh Johnson, right? 
um, the Josh Johnson dropsies, as they are known to me. Um, he is a great receiver. One of the fastest ones on the team uh, consistently gets open. But last year, it had been a problem with him dropping passes. But so far this season, hadn't really seen him. I think he had dropped maybe one or two that I can remember. Uh, but not really. It, you know, it wasn't like last year where I, I felt like he was kind of dropping a couple a game. Um, but, man, he I don't know how many it was. I couldn't find, you know, it's not tracked in college football, like the number of drops per play or anything. Uh, but it was probably four uh, passes that he dropped, including the one, you know, the fourth quarter one that may or may not have been a drop. Uh, at the end of the game that was called a catch and then confirmed to be a catch. But uh, it's just, uh, it scares me, man, because that guy is so talented. I mean, he gets open all the time. Zach Smith clearly loves throwing to him. He throws to him all all game. Uh, him and Keelan Stokes are clearly getting the most targets. And then, um, but Stokes is making those catches, and Josh Johnson often is not. So, man, I hope he can turn it around because he has had a, he's had a good year so far this season. Like, like he, like, went he was clearly the number two guy the first two games of the year. And then uh, Sam Crawford and uh, JC Santana have, have been slowly gaining on him. But uh, I don't know. I, uh, he's got the talent. You just got to keep, keep the drops to a minimum because that was a rough one on Friday. Yeah, and I mean, just talking about JC uh, Santana catching up to him, like that touchdown mm. of his yeah, was oh my God. nice. <laughs> Yeah, this is a good bridge into the good things. Like, do you have any more bad things to bring up? It? Um, yeah, no, the only other thing was talking about uh, Rajai, Rajai Harris um, and being like, maybe that's not a great sign going into this upcoming week, but we'll get to that when we talk yeah, maybe. Yeah, good point. Uh, yeah, okay, so yeah, let's let's do some, you know, it was a nice nice transition into the good things here, and we'll start off with what you said there with uh, with JC. Um that touchdown, like you said, so nice. They uh, it was a 39-yard touchdown catch. A couple nice moves in there. He spun away, he broke a tackle, and then he spun a guy and high stepped his way into the end zone, which scares the hell out of me because of Justin Hobbs. Uh, you know, back in whatever I think that was 2017, right? SMU that was that the SMU game he did that. The yeah. high step. Yeah. So man, oh, show him the Hobbs film. And make sure he knows that if he wants to keep these touchdowns around while he's playing for Tulsa, uh, not to do that because that'll obviously get taken away if you're uh, if you're doing God. I mean, and I watched the Hobbs clip again after that, and that's still just 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 man that pisses me off. He did like one high step. It was like one leg, and then he changed his mind and they threw the flag on him. Oh my God. Anyways, I uh, don't want to go off on that, but yeah, JC's touchdown there, very very nice, 39 yarder. Um, couple sweet moves he just looked really good very very sucked about him um yeah several other good things most of which came later in the game um but the kind of early ones there uh we did force and recover two fumbles in the first half and that absolutely kept us mm-hmm. around like ecu could have just goddamn buried us early early on because i think both those fumbles also were in the first quarter and that that totally kept us alive um, I think Collins and Trayvon Reeves are the ones that forced them. And then Allie Green and Bryson Powers recovered them. Uh, a couple really big plays, you know, those were, those were both really nice. So glad that both those were, uh, both those happened. Um, another one was Keelan Stokes. <laughs> and I mentioned this earlier, kind of the thing that turned this game around, 
Maybe. You know, I don't know what was said in the locker room by Montgomery at halftime or anything, but before they went to the locker room, right at the end of the first half, Zach Smith threw that long interception uh, where he was, you know, he got hit while he threw it. It was super wobbly. It was clearly altered by the hit and just wobbling through the air and got picked off by East Carolina while we were trying to go down and make it a one-score game before half and gets picked off. We go into the half down 17-3. to And Keelan, or uh, yeah, Keelan Stokes, comes over to the offensive line and there were several others sitting around them. And I was, you know, I was sitting on that sideline, you know, 20 something rows back, but I was there and could see them and I could definitely hear him. Uh, every word he was saying, you know, cause there's not that many fans in there and he was laying into them. It was like, wake the F up. You, what are you guys doing? What are we doing? We, we can't let East Carolina come in here and do this in our home stadium. And that was right before halftime. And then what do we do coming out the second half? We go on a five play, uh, five-play drive with a touchdown to open it up. So props to Keelan Stokes for taking up the leadership role there and lighting the fire under these guys that clearly worked uh, or something worked because we came out that second half and just smoked them. And that and then Stokes got the touchdown to, uh, you know, put the put the button on top of his pep talk. He actually answered the call and scored on that 25-yard touchdown catch um, or t- I guess catch and run. He ran for a while, catch from Smith um, to finish that off. So Props to Keelan Stokes. That guy continues to impress. Um, has hands like nobody else on the team. There are hardly ever throws that go his way where it hits his hands and he doesn't come down with it. Huge Keelan Stokes fan. Obviously, he's been leading the receiving core for a while now. And, man, he deserves all the credit he gets, and I don't think he gets enough. Yeah. Um, so another thing that I thought was really good, after last game um, where T.K. Wilkerson didn't uh, – he didn't travel to South Florida, right? Wasn't that the whole thing? Um, TK, yes. I don't believe so because he had a baby on Tuesday. and That's right, yeah. Because I remember, because I, like, they said something about, like, uh, TK Wilkerson, the new dad scores. <laughs> yeah. And I, like, just have not been paying enough attention, I guess. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. okay. Cool. Yeah, he had a baby girl. Uh, so she was born on Tuesday of nice. this past week. And, yeah, shout out to uh, TK. Congratulations. That's really awesome. And he had a hell of a game uh, coming back. 89 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, our running game between Wilkerson and Prince were pretty strong. Mm -hmm. I mean, between the two of them, you had, what, like 136 yards with two touchdowns, and they were averaging roughly like 4.8 yards a carry between them. And then, like, even Keelan Stokes with, you know, his three rushes gets 31 <laughs> yards on those like our running game was pretty yeah, solid i know yeah that i forgot about that stokes the runs i don't remember two of them but i do remember the one sweep that he took for like 20 yards or whatever that long one was and that was that was super nice um yeah he had the uh, and i saw i saw when uh you know they were talking when he scored his first touchdown um a bunch of players chimed in the next day about him like what you just said having the new dad energy there and it was real, really mm-hmm. <laughs> fun to see. It's, it's just cool stuff. So, again, congrats to him for the new daughter. Um, some of the other kind of – God, we're, we're still on this game. We're 45 minutes in. Uh, let's let's kind of speed up, I guess. Um, okay. Some other good things to f- kind of close off. Um, Ryan Nixon, like I said, in there for a Caleb Evans. I thought he played really, really well. Um, sophomore corner, very excited about him uh, for the rest of the year, especially you know next year when I think he'll take the reins for the graduating senior CB uh evans is a senior isn't he uh evans yeah and yes. i know Allie green is so yeah we're gonna have uh tyon davis and ryan nixon running the show next year so both those guys have shown out pretty well so far 
Um, and then just some other kind of final notes. Um, I did see Tyler Tipton on the field this game. Uh, you know, I was there. And the- okay, sorry. Uh, Evans technically is a junior because he was medically out last year because he only oh, played three games. Wow. I he played three games last year? Wow, that's surprising. Mm-hmm. I thought he played more. Okay, well, good to know. And I guess everybody is uh, has their extra year of eligibility anyways. So we'll see what happens. But I did think Ryan Nixon and Ty and Davis are looking good. Um, but yeah, what I was saying, um, you know, being on the field, I was able to like actually look around with my own eyeballs and not scan the TV screen for a receiver or for not a receiver, uh, for Tyler Tipton, our kicker, who's been, you know, he didn't travel to USF and then, um, or wait, did he not travel to UCF? And then we didn't know if he traveled to USF. I think that's what it was. I think. Yeah. Um, and so we were like, what's the deal with Tyler? He, you know, freshman kicker on scholarship. Is he, you know, what happened? Is he, is his family pissed that he got pulled off the first game or something like that? Uh, but no, I guess not. He was on the field, fully dressed, uh, talking to uh, Zach Long and both the punters all game, uh, Lachlan Wilson and whatever that backup punter is, something Nitsky or something. Um, so he was there. I mean, it looked like he was taking some – he was getting coached basically by by Lachlan and by Zach Long. I saw them talking and laughing all game, so it's not like there's any kind of obvious drama happening there. Um, so saw him on the field, fully dressed. That's good. Uh, I think that's the first time I've seen him since the Oklahoma State game. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of the final note, I put this in my like other section. I didn't know when to bring it up really, but, uh, we just have small receivers and you kind of mentioned that, um, Zach Smith hasn't had like the big, you know, 300 yard plus game. And I don't know if this is necessarily because of it. I mean, it seems like, I don't know. The the receivers are just small this year. Like Keelan Stokes, at least of the ones that play a lot. Stokes is six foot, Santana is six one, Sam Crawford six one. Josh Johnson's 5'11", which, first of all, 5'11", that surprised me. He, he doesn't look 5'11". I would have guessed he was over six foot. But then our, our big dudes are, are all not playing. So redshirt senior Josh Stewart, he does play, but not, not as much as those other guys. Uh, he's 6'3". We have a junior, uh, Daylon Phillips, who actually he was in there for several plays this past game. He's also 6'3". And then a redshirt freshman, uh, Ladorian Flores, is 6'2". And those are our three biggest receivers there. So I just wanted to mention that real quick. Okay, let's move on to our players of the game. Um, Matt, do you want to start with offense? I think I usually start on offense, so I'll let you start. Yeah, uh, so this was tough this week. Uh, I was debating between two, but, I mean, I've got to give it to New Dad Energy, TK <laughs> yeah. Wilkerson, just because, like, the two touchdowns were crucial. Uh, and, I mean, just getting that punching it in mm. on the one-yard line. Leaping, um, too. Right, right there. Yeah, to end the game where, I mean, he was so close to scoring it on the play, you know, the play immediately before. Uh, and I just want to give a shout out to uh, Rocky Boyman <laughs> from ESPN, um, who said that now that we have the ball on the one yard line, I, he wondered if TU was just going to kill the clock and kick a field goal. Down four? <laughs> which, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Down no, three, down yeah. three. Like, sure, to tie, but it's like, why? On we have. One. <laughs> we're on the one yard line like oh my god and then he like later he realized like a cut like 20 seconds later he's like i mean obviously tulsa wants to score a touchdown but <laughs> yeah. like they just need to take time off the right. clock and you know but he just said like take it down time out field goal which is just so <laughs> shout out player of the game uh rocky boy man that is funny i didn't know that happened um yeah so i was gonna give it i you know i was real close to giving it to to tk as well i actually that's not my first choice um because of the fumble in the fourth quarter which you know not not actually fumble you know by all uh by technicality there but um yeah i will say i made a note 
uh, next to my player of the game, I said, but needs to ensure he maintains possession. <laughs> yeah. Without yeah, a exactly. doubt. So. Yeah, uh, he did have a hell of a game besides that. But yeah, the guy I gave it to because of that was Keelan Stokes. And I talked about him a lot already. That guy's just got awesome hands and he had a hell of a game. This last game, six catches for 90 yards and a touchdown. Several of those six catches were big timers late in the game that we really needed. Uh, so he got my offensive player of the game. Um, for defense, I'll kick it off here. Um, you know, I think for the first time we can give it to somebody who's not Zayvon Collins. Zayvon missed a lot of time during that game with an injury to his toe. Um, he did, you know, he played fine while he was in there. Uh, I, he was part of the cause of that deflected interception near the end zone that Justin Wright ended up picking off. And Justin Wright also had a good game. I also almost picked him for my player of the game, but the one I went with was Jackson player, uh, really did not show up on the stat sheet, at least in the ESPN box score that I was looking at only two tackles, uh, nothing else really, but man, that guy, I swear he was just in their backfield all game. The only person on our defensive line who was making any kind of impact on them from what I could tell. And that I think deserves player of the game in my mind, because nobody else was getting it done on our line. And we were seemed like just getting, getting beat up bad up front. And fortunately Jackson was able to make something happen all game. And so I'm going to give him the, the defensive player of the game today. Yeah. Um, I went more just like on relied on stat sheet which again like you were saying there really wasn't that much in mm -hmm. general on this we had no sacks we had three total tackles for loss um but i mean Kendarin ray has continued the tulsa tradition of <laughs> the leading tackler being our safety yeah, right. um because he le he led with nine tackle nine total tackles uh but he also had two deflected passes uh which you know we had five total because we were just letting mm -hmm. like I mean, Holt Nailers was going, you know, balling out yeah. against us. He had, you know, 38 of, of 50. But, I mean, just two to, – so to get two of those stops on there, you know, pretty yeah. big deal. Uh, and he's really – I mean, I believe Montgomery when he said that he's could be best safety we've ever had. Yeah, I mean, he certainly looks the part. Like, he's got the body type for a, a powerful safety. He makes a good, he makes great plays. You see the flashes of, like, that, that missed interception last game would have been so beautiful. Or not last game, I keep saying that. Two games ago now against UCF um, or USF. Would have been so pretty. Like, he matched that ball perfectly. Great body control. Shifted while he was in the air and just went through his hands. But you can totally tell. He's got every every tool that he needs and you can you can see it happening like live on the field in front of us that he is becoming an an, an amazing player for us. Uh, do you want to start us off on special teams matter? You want me to? I do have one if you uh, need to think about it. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So my uh, my special teams player of the game. I'm also going with Jackson Player here because I couldn't think of anyone else to give it to. Zach Long did have a fine game, uh, two for two from field goals, four for four extra points, and that you know. That's that's worthy of it, uh, especially after the, the kicking woes that we've had in the past. Um, but I'm giving it to Jackson because he blocked that field goal uh, that East Carolina gave, and I thought that was the special teams play of the game right there. So Jackson player getting the rare um, defensive and special teams player of the game. <laughs> um, so I will continue to give it to Zach Long until he misses a field <laughs> goal because at this point it is more just uh, superstition. And so four for four and two for two. There you go. 100% this Good game. Good stuff. And he hasn't missed a field goal this year. He's missed an extra point, but not a field goal. Ooh, nice. Good stat. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay. So I, I think we got too used to 
not having a preview game to do because now we're at 50 minutes almost and we haven't done our preview. So we're we're getting too yep. used to uh, having all episode to recap. So let's get into the Navy preview here. Um, we don't have a guest for you today, so we'll break it, break it down, which will save us some time for some other stuff. Uh, we're going to go over an hour, I'm sure, anyways. But some Navy stuff. So we play the Midshipman this Saturday, uh, November 7th at 11 a.m. That game is in Annapolis, Maryland. Uh, Tulsa is a 10-point favorite on the road. As of today, Sunday, I saw the uh, Circa Sports tweet come out that they always break down the opening lines for everyone. Uh, so a 10-point favorite on the road against Navy, who's not a bad team. Um, Navy's 3-4. and four. They are 3-2 and two in the American, so all of their wins have come over conference foes here. Uh, those wins, though, are over pretty much the bottom of the conference. Uh, Tulane is their best win. Temple, they, they beat a pretty close one. And then East Carolina also. Um, without and they beat East Carolina without Holton Aylers. So uh, the you know three and two in the American looks pretty good, but they haven't played really the top tier of the conference yet. Um, they are so different this year than past years. Not not so different in terms of like you know they're still a triple option team and they do the things that they normally do, um, but they pass so much more this year. Oh my gosh! So their quarterback is primarily this guy Dalen Morris. Um, they do bring in another guy who fantastic name here Tiger Goslin. Love, I, I love that. Tiger with a T-Y also. It's not T-I-G-E-R, T-Y-G-E-R. Uh, but their primary guy is Dalen Morris. Um, and like I said, passing a lot. So they had Malcolm Perry last year. He was the dude for them. They went 11-2 and two last year. They were really, really good. Uh, shout out to him, by the way. He got his first start in the NFL today with the Dolphins, and they won 28-17, so that's pretty cool. Um, but passing-wise, they have already passed this season – They've passed it 93 times already. Compared to 2019, they passed it 101 times the entire year. And there's still half a season to go here. So they are passing the ball a whole lot more and running it a whole lot less. So, I mean, they still obviously run it more than they pass, but passing it a lot more than normal and running it a lot less than normal. Um, Their average rushing yards per game are also significantly down from last season. Um, 2019, they were averaging... 360.7 yards a game and this year so far they are averaging 187.1 so that is a drastic difference in terms of their rushing attack um they do though still primarily rush obviously they they bring out the triple option between the quarterback the fullback and everything and their leading rusher so far is a fullback as it as it often slash most of the time is uh between them and their quarterback usually but clearly this year it's it's a fullback uh, nelson smith who's actually very talented player uh, 447 yards on 76 carries this year. That's good for a 5.9 yards a carry. He's got seven touchdowns on the year as well. Um, second place for them in terms of rushing is another fullback, Jamel Carruthers, who has more carries than uh, Nelson with 88, but uh, far fewer yards per carry. He's got 337 yards on those 88 carries, which is 3.8 yards a carry there. Um, their primary quarterback, like I mentioned, Dalen Morris, also runs it pretty often. Uh, he's run it 66 times. That's compared to the 76 from leading rusher Nelson Smith and 88 from Jamel Carruthers, uh, but only for 54 yards, uh, two touchdowns. I know the 54 yards includes the uh, negative yards for sacks since he's the quarterback, though. So that uh, probably hurts, especially since they're passing a lot more, which leads to more sacks for the, on their end. Um, so really a different look <laughs> than we see, um, which is probably good, honestly, for how we've played against them in the past. Um you know, the more that they pass, I think the better for us uh, with how our defense typically performs. 
especially against the, their triple option. And then their defense, also not very good. Um, they're 75, 75th in the country in terms of total defense. Tulsa, for reference, is at 39th in total defense. So we have the advantage there as well. So this, you know, I don't know what your thoughts are, Matt. This looks like looks like maybe, you know, I, I know I said a couple weeks ago, I'm never going to bet on Tulsa to beat Navy ever again because it's just it's been a black hole for a long time. This year definitely feels like a year that we can do it with how they play, with how much they're passing compared to previous years, how much more ineffective their rushing is than it has been in the past. It looks like things are kind of lined up here. Yeah, and so like Navy's giving like they're averaging 244 yards of rushing yeah. allowed yeah. so far this season. Um which really, you know, matches up well with our strength and that our run game is stronger than our passing game, mm-hmm. as we've talked about. And so I kind of imagine that our own, like, not, quote, triple option uh, option being we have three different running backs that we can give the ball to on a given play. Um, I can anticipate Wilkerson, Prince, and Taylor all having yeah. really strong games uh, against Navy. I mean, honestly, maybe not not quite like BYU or Air Force because like BYU they gave up uh 301 <laughs> rushing yards um and then oh Air Force Air Force doesn't really run the option uh, like I always think they do but they still gave up 360 so okay they do do the option because uh, it was 369 yards of rushing allowed to Air Force so I don't really th- see us doing quite that many but I kind of anticipate us getting close to the 200 yard rushing mark yeah um and i think like like you said this is their weakest um split in run versus pass that we've seen and we're also better than the run than we have been in the past although this last game uh when we just gave up you know good 100 plus yards Mm -hmm. to Raja harris um kind of like might make you think Otherwise, I still think this is our best shot to beat them, especially like depending on the status of Zayvon Collins uh, and his toe. I think Zayvon Collins is kind of the X factor in this game because he can do yeah. like from the linebacker position. He's so good at dropping back into coverage or he can like more likely in this case will be able to cover like, I don't know take one of the options out of it so then you're dealing with one, like only two possible right. runners which i think gives a huge advantage for our defense this game uh and so i think and you know i think this is the year that we're gonna win i think we finally <laughs> beat navy even though it is in annapolis after an election <laughs> yeah. uh right before veterans yep, day i think so too it's the worst time to play them like you said but this does feel like a year that we can get it done with everything else that's weird in 2020 why not add on tulsa beats navy to that one so i i could totally see it um uh, so i'll 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 uh, give us the win in as a as a prediction as well um cool so let's jump to uh just a quick look around the conference um the, the, the game I want to spend the most time on, which I'll try to keep low, was uh, the first one, or I guess one of the two that started at 11 a.m. on Saturday. That was uh, Cincinnati and Memphis. All right, so Cincinnati, number seven at the time, number six now, like I said, playing Memphis, who at the time was receiving votes, um, I think more than us in the poll last week, maybe maybe the one right, before, right after us, I can't remember. But they were right knocking on the door of the top 25. Uh, and this was a big game for the conference, obviously. Memphis had beaten UCF this year. Um, lost to SMU at home. That was their, I think that was their first game back after they didn't play a game for forever. And they barely lost to SMU. 
And Memphis was looking pretty good. And they've got a lot of talent on their team, despite many of their players opting out. They're big-time players like DeMonte Coxey and uh, Kenneth Gainwell. So, you know, they've, they've been playing great. Brady White, senior quarterback, looking really good. But, man, they got absolutely flattened by Cincinnati, 49-10 to 10 against the Tigers. And, like, it was – so I watched most of this game. It was it was amazing. I, you know, I said this, um, I think, last week after, the, after Cincinnati destroyed SMU also that – I would have, you know, I probably would have predicted Tulsa to beat Cincinnati when we when we were first scheduled to play them um, a couple weeks ago now, and I, I can't say that anymore. They just look so amazing. They to beat Memphis like this, like the two probably two of the three best offenses in the con in the conference in terms of Memphis, SMU, and UCF. They've now played two of them and have absolutely shut down both. SMU, they beat, I think, 42-13. to 13. Now they beat Memphis 49-10. to 10. They shut them out in the second half. Zero points for the Tigers in the entire second half while they put up 28 for a 49-10 to 10 final score. I mean, the thing was with the Bearcat team, and even when we talked to Clayton from the, uh, from, uh, what was it, down the drive, um, he was saying, like, when we talked to him, Desmond Ritter had kind of got off to a mediocre start. I think he was six touchdowns to four interceptions so far in the year. You know, message boards, as they usually do, are calling for the backup quarterback to come in, and he's not going to get the job done. That dude is playing out of his mind right now. He was 21 of 26 for 271 yards and three touchdowns against Memphis. He is playing lights out, and that was the big question mark for them. Can their offense come anywhere close to match their defense? And I think the answer is yes. I mean, their defense is obviously still the namesake of that team. But to put up 50 points... 49 points against Memphis. I know their defense isn't that good, but like, Jesus, that's amazing. And then when you're keeping Memphis to 10 points at the same time, you have a hell of a team over there in Cincinnati. So I am definitely very scared of uh, December 5th, which is when our game got rescheduled um, to play them. I mean, two, you know, four rushing touchdowns, three receiving touchdowns. They're balanced. They're doing, I mean, they, they rush way more than they do pass, but they're hitting the long balls now. I saw one super long touchdown pass to uh, Alec Pierce, who also missed the first couple of games of their season for Cincinnati. And that guy, I you know, he got a bunch of big-time offers from big Power 5 schools. Now he's playing for them for Cincinnati again, and they are looking dangerous. So, you know, since he goes out and absolutely annihilates Memphis, which is the biggest news of the weekend. Um, the other ones, and I'll just kind of blaze through these real quick, uh, Tulane, and Temple played. Um, Temple, you know, looked pretty good against Memphis last week. Maybe Memphis is worse than we think, or Temple just had a hell of a game last week. But Temple almost got the win over over Memphis, but they didn't, uh, so they lost. But coming into this one, people thought Tulane and Temple would be pretty close. Both were one in one and three versus one and two in conference, and uh, Tulane just freaking destroyed thirty eight to three. Temple's only points came in the first quarters, the field goal, and then Tulane lit them up the rest of the game. Um, not even close. So Tulane, I mean, looking, looking better. I think Temple is honestly pretty terrible. They were missing their starting quarterback, um, Anthony Russo. So they were switching between Trad Beatty and Real Mitchell. Uh, Beattie got most of the attempts there, but not a good look losing to Tulane by 35. <laughs> um, next up was UCF and Houston. I didn't get to watch any of this game, unfortunately. Um, but UCF, beat Houston by 23, 44 to 21. This was in Houston. Um, I don't have a ton to say about this one because I didn't really get to watch it, but Dylan Gabriel looking pretty good. Uh, Clayton Toon, apparently pretty bad. 
21 of 41, incomplete on 20 passes, had two interceptions there. Um, I was pretty high on him before this, so I'll have to take a closer look into this game, but not a, not a great uh, look from Houston there. And then finally, Navy lost to SMU. Uh, 51 to 37. So the Mustangs putting up 51 points on the midshipmen, which is a good sign for us. And we got a better defense than the Mustangs do. That's for sure. So, um, you know, we'll see how we do against Navy. We've talked about them enough, so I don't want to talk about the time about that one, but SMU keeping them, keeping themselves ranked with the, with the 20 point win almost over, uh, the midshipmen. All right. So that covers around the conference stuff. Do you have anything you wanted to add on any of those games, Matt? Uh, no, I don't think so. I know we're yeah, crunched for time. We still got two other things to talk about. Um, yeah, so let's get to those. Uh, first of which is basketball. So we've got some basketball news for the first time this year, uh, or at least basketball news that is worth uh, covering that I can remember. Um, the Americans preseason poll uh, came out for by, you know, the American Conference head coaches vote on this thing preseason, how they think the order of finish is going to go in the conference. They have first place votes and all all that stuff along with uh, first team all conference, second team all conference. And um, I think they do honor on, I don't know if they do like an honor roll. I, I can't remember, but they at least have first and second team. Um, so long story short, Tulsa was picked to finish sixth in the American this year, which is the highest we've been projected to finish since 2016 when we were projected to finish fourth. Um, and as most people know, we have beaten our projection literally every year we've been in this conference. Uh, except for maybe 2014. I can't remember the 2014 one. Uh, but since 2015, we have beaten it every year. So the predicted order that we were given or that the American Conference head coaches voted on, um, no unanimous first placer, but Houston was picked to finish for, in first by most. They had nine first place votes compared to Memphis's two, and Memphis came in second. So the order goes Houston with nine first place votes, Memphis with two first place votes, and then SMU in third, Cincinnati in fourth, South Florida in fifth, us in sixth, Tulsa, uh, Wichita State in seventh, UCF in eighth, East Carolina in ninth, Temple in tenth, and Tulane bringing up the bottom at eleventh uh, once again. So interesting that we were picked sixth. I understand. I understand it. Um, I'm glad it is sixth. I think you know the American doesn't seem to like projecting Tulsa very high. So honestly, I wouldn't have been crazy surprise if we were picked to finish seventh um but after tying in for first in the conference last year uh we got a little bit more respect put on the name this season despite losing martin martin zigbano and lawson carita um so i don't know man what were your thoughts on the the pick there at sixth uh man i don't know i'm always like kind of afraid to do this because i think last year i said like yeah it was pick where we were was bad but by one spot and then we ended up getting <laughs> tying for first which is like especially at the start of the season not what i anticipated so mm-hmm. i don't know i feel like middle of the pack is probably where i'm at because um i'm the teams those four up top are tough well i mean i don't know i think smu is always a little overrated but houston memphis and cincinnati i feel like are always pretty strong yeah i i don't ever want to sleep on Wichita, but I mean, they've got a whole bunch of issues <laughs> yeah. besides just like their team this year. Uh, the USF one finishing in fifth is yeah. intriguing to me um, just because like they've USF has consistently been getting stronger and I know they've had like uh, what's the injury. He'll be back this year. Yeah. Alexis Yetna. Yeah. And so I, 
I don't know. I could see us finishing fifth, but I don't know if I like maybe also ahead of SMU. Um, yeah. But God, after the way we played Cincinnati last year, I don't know. I feel like I don't know if we're a, a top four team in the conference right now. Yeah, I, I'm mostly on the same page, I think. Uh, I do think we'll finish higher than sixth just based on uh, history, <laughs> just like how it's been every year. Uh, Tulsa Hop had a good tweet that I'm going to basically read to you right now. It's it's similar thing with how we've always been picked to finish higher than the projection. So starting back in 2015, picked to finish fifth, we finished second. 2016, we were picked to finish fourth, we finished tied for third. 2017, picked to finish ninth, finished seventh. 2018, picked to finish eighth, finished fourth. 2019, just, uh, you know, two years ago, picked to finish ninth, finished seventh. And then the 2019-2020 season picked 10th, finished tied for first, which is, you know, pretty, pretty bizarre that, that, that last year's season. Um, so yeah, I, I, I agree. I think we'll finish probably top five. Um, Houston, I think deserves to get the number one spot. Uh, Memphis, you could argue, has the talent to get there, but they had the talent to do that last year, and they very much underwhelmed. So we'll see how uh, Penny Hardaway does in year two. SMU, they have a lot of talent. Um, you know, I don't know how I feel about their head coach. What's his Jankowski or what? What God? What is that guy's last name? Do you remember? No, Kowski something. It's uh, yeah, Janik Janik Jaworski. Something. God, I'm blanking Jankovic. on this. Tim Jankovic. Jankovic. God, what's wrong with me? Yes. Yeah. Tim I Jankovic. Know. I mean, I also agreed with you that it was Kowski, even though it was a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Um, it's concerning. Like, I don't know. They, they've got talent, but that guy, I feel like has almost been out the door a couple of times at SMU with how some of their seasons have gone. Uh, and then all of a sudden they're picked to finish third. So they're a, they're kind of an unknown to me. They do have a lot of good talent on that team though. Cincinnati is the most intriguing for me. So they were picked to finish fourth and they lost the Cumberland twins or not. I, I don't know if they were twins or just like one year apart brothers, or maybe they were cousins. I can't remember. Um, they were cousins, cousins. There you go. Uh, so they're, I, they're both gone and man, Frickin' Jaron Cumberland just destroyed us for a couple of years. So I am glad that they're gone. I, they do have some ballers on the team. I was looking through the roster. They, they look impressive, but I don't know how sold I am on John Brandon as a head coach in general. Um, you know, he'll have to prove it to me this year because I would bet against him at this point. But having them fourth, I don't think they finish higher than that. That's for sure. Maybe, the, maybe they'll finish fourth or fifth, but I could see us finishing higher. Uh, we'll see. And then South Florida, I agree with everything you said. I'm not going to re- reiterate on that one. Lots of unknowns there. Alexis Yetna coming back. It seems like they've been building for a long time there. Um, so we'll see how that goes. And uh, then Wichita is the other intriguing one, but you covered them pretty well too. Lots of, <laughs> lots of drama happening in Wichita. But they do have uh, that UConn transfer, Alteri Gilbert, who I have always really liked as a player. And now he's doing it over there. So that'll be fun to watch. Um, we did have Brandon Rochelle put on the preseason first team all-conference. Honestly, I'm kind of surprised. I don't know if you were, Matt. I don't know if you expected him to get a first-team bid there, but he you know, started off the year last year red hot. I haven't looked at the stats overall, but definitely felt like the second half of the year was much less uh, exciting for him. It was and definitely he was, not, the, it was not the Rochelle show in the second half. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, I don't know. I thought maybe he would – I could – if I were to bet on like where he would have landed, I probably would have bet second team. Um, but hey, I'll take the first team for sure. Do you? I don't know. Do you? Did you think he was going to land there or what? Uh, no, I didn't think anybody was going to be first team. I thought we were pretty limited to second team. And I mean, he's going to be a strong defensive player. I just didn't 
so I'm kind of surprised that that got him a uh, put onto the first team because I feel like a lot of the good defensive players don't really get as much credit as the offensive sharpshooters. Yeah, and he definitely has showed flashes of like what he can do offensively. It just was really inconsistent last year. So I don't know. Maybe the conference, you know, clearly they see him as as a threat in the conference and a guy that can do some serious damage, which we all know. Uh, we just need to see it on a more consistent basis this, this season. Uh, cool. So moving on, um, kind of the final thing that I wanted to talk about, some football recruiting stuff, uh, which we don't have to spend a lot of time on, but uh, just a couple fun notes. The first of which uh, came this last week. We got a commitment from a three-star dual-threat quarterback. Name is Braylon Braxton. So he committed to the Hurricane, uh, the 19th best dual-threat quarterback in the nation. He is out of uh, Frisco, Texas. I think it was Independence High School there. And that's a big-time guy. I mean, you know, we haven't had a ton of success with uh, with dual-threat quarterbacks in the past with Luke Skipper and Chad President. Um, but this guy looks like... I don't know. I was watching some of his highlight tape, and you can never judge people off their highlight tape by now. But um, honestly, his highlight tape was mostly throws. It was very few highlights of him, you know, breaking a big run. He did have those, of course, in there, but it seemed to emphasize his throwing. So that's, a, I think, a good sign in terms of what a dual threat quarterback can do. Um, and where that kind of brings our 21 class, 2021 class um, at this point so far. So breaking out. 247 Sports and Rivals. Um, 247 has us at five recruits so far, all of which are three-star three, three star guys, no two-stars yet. Uh, Braylon Braxton, this quarterback, being the highest-rated one yet. And so kind of going top to bottom on what 247 has, we got Braylon Braxton at 6'2". Um, he's a quarterback, 86.5 rating from Frisco. And then a guy that I honestly kind of forgot about, he committed over the summer, or maybe it was in August, uh, something like that, Bill Jackson. Matt, have you heard about this guy? No. Okay, get ready to be excited, because I am very. So Matt and I are both from St. Louis. Originally, we went to high school in St. Louis. So did former co-host Pat Fox, uh, three St. Louis kids here. Um, Bill Jackson is a 5'10", running back, uh, 85.4 rating from St. Louis. Um, went to Cardinal Ritter High School, who my high school played against uh, several times. So that is really, really awesome. The dude had offers from Nebraska, Purdue, Iowa, and like several other big time schools. I mean, Matt, you know, is, is at grad school in Nebraska now, a Nebraska fan. He picked us over in Nebraska. Okay, well, uh, hold on. I don't know if I would call myself a Nebraska fan. Well, it's yeah, just fair. <laughs> I mean, I am yeah. saying it's pretty, it's a lot of bullshit that Wisconsin happened to get COVID right before they were supposed to play the <laughs> yeah. powerhouse that is Nebraska, go big red. But I don't know if I'm a Nebraska fan. <laughs> fair. But still, man, like picking us over those kind of schools. Uh, I mean, and being from St. Louis, I'm definitely excited about Bill Jackson. And how can you not be with a name like that? Like, I swear, Bill Jackson sounds like a Hall of Fame kind of name. So I don't know. I've got high expectations for him just based on the fact that he's from St. Louis and his name is Bill Jackson. So that's pretty cool. Um, third up, we have Marquise Shoulders. Another great name. Last name Shoulders. Are you kidding me? 5'8". Uh, he is, I can't remember. He was listed, I think, as an athlete. I can't remember what he was listed as on Rivals or on 247. Um, but 82.6 rating from Katy, Texas. We've got Mason Jolly, 6'2", 208-pound inside linebacker, 81.2 rating from Prosper, Texas. And then rounding out the Texas recruits here, we have Roderick Hopes. And on Rivals, he is, his name is Zion Hopes. So not sure if his name is Roderick or Zion, to be honest. Uh, but 6'3", 180-pound safety, 80.5 rating, also out of uh, Texas there in Jefferson, Texas. So 
looking like a pretty strong recruiting class so far. Only five guys at that at this point, which is fewer than most teams have, but um, see that coming along here pretty soon. Rivals does have us at six, which are the same five as 247 has us, but including a linebacker, Jaden Moore, a 6'2", 210-pound guy um, from Shreveport, Louisiana. So there's a kind of a different one. And then can't forget we have uh, Bryce Bray, who committed last year, the Oklahoma State guard transfer, who uh, is sitting out this season. Um, yeah, so I'm super, I'm super psyched about our class so far. Big time quarterback. I mean, quarterback is our highest recruit um, in in the class so far this year. We got plenty more names, obviously, to come down the pipe. But with the guys we've got so far, with Bill Jackson, Braylon Braxton, I mean. Those guys just by themselves got me excited about this class already. So I don't know. Have any thoughts on recruiting, Matt? Uh, I mean, it's fine. <laughs> I, I just get frustrated. And I mean, we've talked about it having uh, not targeting some of the really good players in the Tulsa area. So, but, you know. So, yeah. Did you see that uh, Owen Ostrowski, Jerry Ostrowski's son, who originally we had not offered and had all, he is already committed to Army. Um, we got, we, we went out and offered him like two weeks ago. We didn't bring it up on the episode last week. Cause we had so much to talk about with, uh, the ECU game and those, the Boneyard guys coming on, but Owen Ostrowski has a Tulsa offer now. And that is suspicious, you know, like he's already committed. He's already committed to army. Why then would we offer him if we don't think there's a chance he might decommit and come join us over here when his dad is involved with the football program, right? I mean, I don't know. His commit so far, I mean, this isn't the binding commitment point. Yeah, right. Yet. So, I mean, it makes sense. I just like, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Timing is suspicious to me that it's like, oh, now that, you know, Army wants him, like, maybe, like, why why are we not offering him already? That's, I'm just at that point, like, good that we offered him, but like, why are we still so late? Oh, no, I, I totally agree. It <laughs> definitely feels like too little too late, and I would totally understand if he sticks with his Army commitment. But, man, the prospect of having Jerry Ostrowski's son come here with how he's looked, and, like, he's getting a lot of hype in the Tulsa area and, like, outside the Tulsa area, obviously, as well. And Owen Hall is blowing people out. Dude, oh, my gosh, they are. It is freaking like crazy. Like 7-0 right now. <laughs> yeah. I think they just yeah. won, like, 52-7. to Dude, it is awesome. So if we can get that guy – just how cool would it be to have him on the sideline? I mean, and he looks like an absolute baller. So, God, I, I hope he does it. Um, it would suck for Army, I guess. But, man, it would be it would be so nice to have uh, him, him, you know, Owen himself, uh, the son of Jerry and a baller from Holland Hall, come play it to you. That would be pretty cool. Okay, then. Well, if you like the show, please do share it on Twitter. Tell a friend about it leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That would be really awesome. We definitely love hearing any feedback that you have. We definitely appreciate uh, the good and the bad, anything you've got. Uh, love to hear it. Um, if you want to support us financially, uh, you can find a couple of different ways to do that on our website. You can just go to thegoldenhurricast.com slash support. And finally, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at goldenhurricast, or you can send us an email at thegoldenhurricast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, everybody, and we will talk to you next week. Stay golden.